If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, so I came across this. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. Um, a new study is, suggests that people who have what's known as the dark triad of personality traits are associated with overt displays of virtue and victimhood. We've all known people like this who are constantly bellowing about how they've been wronged. In fact, culturally, we've gone from that being kind of a funny type of person portrayed in movies or on TV within a society like post-war America was... You know, strong John Wayne, you do your duty, you do it happily, you don't want to be a whiner. I mean, that's the worst thing you could be as a whiner, right? We're a little more whiny as a people. But good times make for weak people. Not surprising. Anyway, the dark triad of personality traits, narcissism, psychopathy, and what they call Machiavellianism. Hmm. Hadn't heard that one. Yeah. They're all essentially selfishness and lack of compassion. Interestingly enough, though. And is this something you're born with, a genetic, or you can, you can like develop this attitude or something? Great question. Great question. The only redeeming quality I can come up with for that Dahmer show on Netflix, which is the number one streaming show in America right now. And you've watched how much of it? I think like almost two episodes, one and a half episodes, something like that. So is each episode a different dude? Because I, I I only made it like two thirds through the first episode. Oh no, no, uh, no. Uh, episode one is about the final guy he tried to sex up and kill, who escaped and brought the cops. Okay, so that's the guy that got away. Okay, yes. so I, I haven't even finished Spoiler the episode because I didn't want to get to the kills him, sexes him up, eats him part. 
No. I mean, when the FBI came and opened the fridge and there was a head in there, that's kind of when I bailed. Ah, yeah, gruesome. Uh, Yeah. Did you stick around for the uh, opening of the barrel? No. Mm, It was not a barrel of fun (laughs) to cite the old polka. Uh, Anyway, uh, no, the second episode goes straight to his childhood. Oh, okay. And and childhood trauma and the rest of it, which leads me to, I, I bailed on it. Just because I thought, why am I watching this ugliness and horror? It did get a little interesting in its effort to portray childhood trauma and insecurity, fascination with dead beasts, and how that may have built the psychology that became a uh, sexual psycho killer. Um, But... eh. The acting's pretty good in that show, though, you got to admit. Oh, oh, my God, the production from the acting to the writing to the photography, the filmography and everything, it's top-notch. It's cinematic, as they say. If you want a portrayal of that sort of thing, it's great. It's just, do I want a portrayal of that sort of thing? Sure. I mean, if you have unrealistic body parts dissolving in a barrel, I mean, for instance, it's off-putting. You want them really realistic. I know. Everybody just vomited their Cheerios. I apologize. Um... I like his his neighbor complaining about the smell coming out of his apartment. Uh, yeah, my aquarium's on the fritz, uh, so uh, <laughs> I really like his his main cover story is I really like pork chops, and my family sent me a bunch of meat, and I forgot to plug in my freezer. Jeez, <laughs> oh, yeah, an aggressive well, scent. It was, yeah. Anyway, uh, but. Uh, if I want... The one thing it's not is rotting dudes from the gay bar down the street. <laughs> Just want to let you know that. Let's let's get that on the record. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. The lighter side of Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, my um, God. Uh, but if I want a, a psychological study of how a monster like that is created, I, I'm not sure I need, like, a drama. I would rather read a, a scholarly book or something. Uh, anyway, and I just thought, no, this is too much evil. This is too much ugliness. I don't relax in the evening with evil and ugliness. I'd rather watch a ball game or, or you know, read a book or, I don't know, get blind drunk and yell at passersby. <laughs> just not watching psycho killers carve people up. <laughs> anyway, uh, so back to the dark triad. Um, interestingly... Those selfish, unsympathetic characteristics lead people to exploit that in others with overt displays of virtue and victimhood. The study suggests that people with dark personalities use these signals of virtuous victimhood to deceptively extract resources from others. The authors of the study wrote, quote, Fortune and human imperfection assure that at some point in life, everyone will experience suffering, disadvantage, or mistreatment. Sure. When this happens, there will be some who face their burdens in silence, treating it as a private matter they must work out for themselves. And there will uh, be others who make a public spectacle of their sufferings, label themselves as victims, and demand compensation for their pain. The latter response is what interests us. Hmm. And they studied several thousand people um, to come to their conclusions. My mind is uh, bouncing back to Height and Lukianoff's brilliant uh, a piece that ran in the Atlantic years ago that I have bookmarked like on every web browser I use so I can always find it when I need it in which they were making the point we are treating mental well, I'm not treating we are teaching mental illness to our young people we are teaching them for instance to make a public spectacle of their sufferings 
including imaginary sufferings, label themselves as victims and demand compensation for their pain. Yeah, I don't get those last two parts, but the first part, um, I just think of having shared a lot of stuff about uh, kid struggles and marriage and various things. Every time I do it, I get s- s- such an outpouring of people saying, I'm glad you talked about it. I've got the same situation. You know, uh, I don't like feeling like I'm the only one, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Um, but next step, though, of feeling like I'm getting my undue al- amount of difficulties, I don't I don't get that. I, I think. Kind of averages out for most of us over time. You go through periods that are worse than others, no doubt. Right. Um, and then the wanting compensation. I don't get that at all. Yeah. 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 The, it used to be just universally known that into what's the saying into each life, a little rain must fall or something like that. But, um, actually, I think into each life, quite a bit of rain will fall. Life is suffering. <laughs> it is <laughs> interrupted by, you know, occasional uh, good times. Hmm. Treasure them when you got them. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm always uncomfortable with this because I'm a white dude. Um, and to you whatever what I am, to whatever extent anybody listening has endured actual bigotry and racism, I'm sorry for that. And I'm not saying I apologize because I'm responsible. I'm saying that's awful. That sucks. And I wish you hadn't had to endure that. There's legit bigotry in the world. Plenty of it coming from plenty of places. On the other hand, if you are trained to believe every time somebody's a jerk, it's because you're black, Hispanic, Asian, white, gay, a woman, whatever, a woman. Yeah, you're being trained to be mentally ill as a white dude who grew up in an intact home in a modest but lovely and loving home. Um People have been a-holes to me <laughs> at various times in my life. We, I, we have had bosses who are just terrible, <laughs> mean, unfair. Michael's nodding his head. <laughs> um, I'm a white dude, so don't assume it's something else. Oh, man, I'm rambling on. Uh, the researchers first found that perceiving someone as a virtuous victim made people more likely to help them indicating that using signals of virtue and victimhood is a valid strategy to gain resources from others. Woe is me! I'm a victim! People want to help. For example, participants were more willing to help a victim of a random act of violence who is described as being shot while volunteering at a charity event rather than a victim shot walking in front of a grocery store or a victim shot at a strip club. In Interesting. Yeah, in subsequent studies, the researchers established that there was a positive relationship between dark triad traits and emitting signals of both virtue, of victimhood and virtue. These uh, traits are the willingness to be manipulative and deceitful. Um, that was the strongest predictor of virtuous victim signaling. In other words, the more Machiavellian you are, the more likely you're to act like you're deserving of the sympathy of others. How interesting is that? If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my The Armstrong and Getty Show. I tweeted out a picture of me at a restaurant the other day. It was, it's a very um, well-respected new sushi place. But I've found that the more well-respected the sushi place is, the less I like it. So I guess I'm not a real sushi fan. Hmm. I, I like I I think I kind of like dumbed down a little bit sushi. The super it smells like bait sushi stuff that is usually more expensive and well respected. Yes. Not really my thing. You're grocery store sushi guy. Well, That's on brand. I I do eat grocery <laughs> store sushi. I prefer restaurant sushi, but not ah. the super fishy bait stuff. Hmm. Anyway, huh? This place had a robot first place restaurant I've been to that had a robot going around with a, a flat head. Dad owns a liquor store. That old joke. But, um, <laughs> gee, many, you know, I considered making a reference to that old joke in past because I have some restraint. <laughs> the robot, it looked like R2-D2 with a flat head and, and it brought around drinks and entrees and stuff like that. And I, I guess that's the future or something like that. Alex actually worked in a restaurant where they had the monkey butler or the, the it's restaurant a robot, robot. But that's great. Yeah. <laughs> robot, get, monkey, whatever. I get monkey what? butlers and restaurant robots mixed up all the time. One of them will give you the pox, the other won't. So <laughs> how well did the restaurant robot work out, the restaurant you worked at? It's now out by the dumpster. 
we despised it because I could stand there talking to a table, waiting a bar, and up comes this plucky little R2-D2 with a flat face, and it can't get by me. It sensors, since my very large posterior, it can't get around me, so it starts making a sound, get whatever obstruction is out of the way. It just it didn't work the right way. We finally unplugged it. We put it out back out of its misery. Hmm. So uh, my commentary yesterday was it seemed to me to be more of a novelty than a help at this point. It was just it was kind of cool and everybody got their phones out and videotaped it. But it it certainly didn't just looking at it seem like it was more efficient than. Of course, you don't have to pay it. You don't have to give it any health care. You can call it by any pronoun you want. It's not going to complain. It's slower than a human, though. It it trucks along, and yeah, yeah, get your food or drink eventually. But if I've got yeah. fourteen tables, this thing running entrees to one of them isn't going to help. I was just going to say, uh, not to establish my down to earthy cred or anything like that, but both my wife and I have worked in food service. We have worked in retail. Uh, we have worked in sweaty, hard jobs that give you big arms, but you're exhausted at the end of the day. Um, and if you watch a good waiter, a good busser in action. They can accomplish so much so quickly. The idea that some little novelty R2-D2 is going to deliver anything, that's just ridiculous. But we're seeing kind of the first generation of it, right? I had the first generation Roomba, and it sucked. It was way more work to set up your house Mm -hmm. to use the Roomba than to use the Roomba. But I understand the more recent generations are pretty good, and I just wonder if that's going to happen with the, uh, the monkey butler here. Robot. Yeah, there are no monkeys here, Jack. I don't... When you go to the zoo with your kids, do you say, "Look, a robot"? When the, you're at the freaking monkey cage, <laughs> I just I don't I don't get a you. robot starts throwing its feces at you. That um, would be odd. Uh, so, but it was, but it was a pretty cool novelty. I'm guessing, right? The the, the customers liked it. The customers loved it. They'd take photos out because yeah. it, it, we gave it a name. It was Rita. Um, cause this place happened to be known for margaritas. Mm. So a it, Mexican woman's name. Nice. You, Great. I'm going straight to HR with that one. Good. Didn't have any pronouns <laughs> that I know of, but, uh, it would sing happy birthday to you at a table and bring out the dessert. So that's something that we didn't have to do. And I'll let you know as a server, we don't really want to sing happy birthday to you, oh. uh, but we do I hate to pull back the curtain too much, but we don't. <laughs> I, I never did. As a diner, I don't want it sung at me. And as somebody in the dining room, I don't want to hear it sung at somebody else. Can we end this? Can we have a national referendum, please, of the whole singing happy birthday oh, in a restaurant? I thing? half a dozen times have had people had birthdays sung to them when it wasn't their birthday. Just to embarrass them. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I gotta go grab five coworkers to come sing yeah. you happy birthday. It takes us away from what we're doing. It only Slow really service down. only really counts if you put a sombrero on their head. Really make a spectacle out of it. <laughs> then you know it's sincere. Right. <laughs> the well, sombrero to me is the hat of sincerity. So you unplugged R two D two, Rita, and now she is out in the out uh, by the dumpster. Okay. I assume she's waiting for the bus to take her to the next restaurant where they will gladly accept her. Well, yep. uh, like mocking a lot of new technology, though, um, it clearly is not ready for prime time, just like the Roomba, but it is coming, and it will be. It will, and and this pisses me off, it doesn't have to be as good as servers, to Joe's argument, because they won't care. You know, every effing business I call used to be a human being would answer and treat me well. But that is as dead as the dinosaur, and no company cares, and they use their stupid AI system that says, I'm sorry, did you say you wanted accounts? No, I didn't effing say I wanted accounts, you bastard! 
Oh, oh my God, the explosive anger, folks. They don't work very well, but they keep using them, and that's what's going to happen with the robots. So eventually the robots will be cheaper than hiring Alex, and um, and we'll have one, and every restaurant will have one, and, and uh, it'll just be the way it was, and service will get suckier. It's like my I was telling my son about gas stations. They're suckier than they used to be. You used to go to the gas station, and somebody would come out and uh, check the oil and uh, your, the air in your tires and be nice to you and clean your windows, and you had a little conversation and say, hey, I'm hearing a weird sound. You might want to mind if I look at that. And that's gone. That's gone. Yeah. Things are worse. Things just keep getting worse. The end. <laughs> wow, folks. Come for the rage, stay for the inability to differentiate robots from monkeys. It's just it's a tough work environment, I tell you that. And the nihilism. Uh, young Alex, our behind-the-scenes producer, well done, Alex. And speaking of uh, producers of the Armstrong and Getty Show, longtime listeners might be uh, slightly amused or touched to know I had a text exchange with Positive Sean. Uh, around the final, final episode of Better Call Saul. Mm. It was delightful to chat, at least in print, uh, with the lad, and he, he says he's doing great, so that's nice to hear. And I, you know, honestly, I miss our conversations about, oh, yeah. you know, Better Call Saul, and Absolutely. he was an avid, avid consumer of popular culture, and and, and just a really pleasant dude in a lot of ways. But, so anyway, he says, hey. But tell me I'm wrong, because I don't think I am. Robot butlers won't be as good as humans, but that's what we'll get. Just like calling yeah. customer service. Yeah, it'll be worse but cheaper, Yeah, maybe. And we'll all just get used to it, and the next generation won't remember anything any different. Just like Alex probably has never, you know, called customer service and had uh, a human being answer the phone and treat you nice. Because, you, you, just, you know, the next generation gets used to everything sucking. Again, yeah. my nihilism. And rage. Mm-hmm. And can't tell monkeys from com- mm-hmm. computers. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, 
We've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, quick point of privilege. Quick point um, of personal privilege. Yes. This is Armstrong and Getty. Cool. He is Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Costco is planning to raise the price of their annual membership. Oh. Yeah, Costco is getting more expensive, and you could tell they're a little fancier now. Watch this ad I saw. Welcome to the new Costco, the home of elegance. A seven-pound bucket of Nutella. Sophistication, turtlenecks and batteries on the same line, and class, old people eating hot dogs, ghost go, like Walmart with a doorman. I mean, that's, that's interesting, I thought. Man, the customer service at Costco is phenomenal. The last couple of times I've been there, it's just, it's amazing. I wish every store I went to, man, they got so many people working every register and they're just so fast. So attentive, awesome. I don't Every understand I why. Walk, I, go ahead. I don't understand why other businesses don't see that and think, okay, they're giantly successful with that customer service. Maybe we should not make eighty people wait in line at the one register at our store. Mm. Every time I walk into a Costco or a Sam's Club, it's the same thing. I think, man, I'd like one of those big TVs, and I think I already have a big TV. I could get another big TV. Yeah, but this is eight K. You're still living in four K, like a caveman. I'm still a high def guy. I don't. I don't know that I've ever seen anything in 4K. Really? No, that's not true. I have. I saw some sort of featurette showing me how cool it was about flowers. Hmm. It was amazing. It's always flowers. Yeah, yeah. Well, flowers are pretty. So <laughs> this is a uh, a Twitter thread that somebody sent, and I, I apologize for not giving you full credit, but uh, kind of kind of amusing. And then at the end of it. I will offer the obvious analysis, which is dopey and wrong. And then we will discuss what to really think of it. It's a brief history of today. Uh, I'm sorry, of kids today are spoiled. This from 19 uh, from 2021. Mums spark debate after saying children today are spoiled and indulged compared with kids in the 70s and 80s. This from 2018. Poll. People view millennials as spoiled and lazy. From the year 2000. Political satirist Bill Maher claims many kids today are spoiled and lazy because we've spent too much time making them feel like princes and princesses. Back to 1997. Generations come and go from those who grew up during the Depression to today's Generation X, yet no one thinks... One... One thing never seems to change. It's the kids. Today's children are more spoiled than their predecessors, no matter who or when they were. Et cetera, et cetera. I agree with all these so far. 
I think that's what's I think since World War II, each generation has raised more spoiled children, including me with mine, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1987. Judy Martin, area supervisor for Floyd Theaters, has been in the drive-in business for nearly 30 years. Martin also senses a decline of romance at the drive-in, and she has a couple theories about it. Kids today are spoiled by air conditioning, she said, and would just as soon go out and buy a video cassette and nuzzle in front of the television set. That was back, Jack, when young people sought out romantic partners. 1973. Now we're getting somewhere. They don't know the meaning of suffering. When I was a child 75 years ago, we didn't have electricity or any of the conveniences we have today. We had to sit with our coats on all day in school because it was so cold, and all we had to heat the building was a stove. Yeah, she's right. We had to walk through the deep snow a distance of two or more miles, no buses. There were no old-age pensions or baby allowances or welfare money. The only time we got an orange was at Christmas. We never saw an egg except at Easter. <laughs> Wait a second. I don't yes? Know. I don't know. <laughs> the only time we got an orange was at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> time to hand out the Christmas oranges. Uh, the kids today are spoiled rotten. We had to yes. work instead of play, but we were brought up right and taught how to be good citizens. Believe me. Things could be a hundred times worse materialistically. I think that's probably true. Each generation about the other since World War II. I think unless you have a great cataclysm that brings us back down to base needs, it's probably just the history of the world, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, that's that's part of it. Or is that the dopey commentary I discussed? Stay with us. And actually, it keeps getting more inter- interesting. 1967. Our kids today are spoiled. When there was no television, you had to amuse yourself. So yeah. I used to get up at daylight, as did everybody else. We would go out to the courts and practice all day long. I'm sure that's true. 1959. Their elders, for the most part, were unresponsive, decrying the fact that, quote, kids nowadays don't know how to make their own fun. Then they launched into detailed descriptions of the good old days of sandlot baseball in the summer and skiing on barrel staves in the winter. Kids these days are spoiled. They can Kids these days do not ski. Ski on barrel staves, enjoying their Christmas orange. That Please. is true. <laughs> yeah, hand them a couple of barrel slaves. Staves. They would just look at them. What do I do with this, they'd say. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm sorry. This one is from 1943, when my dad was three years old. Uh, children today spoiled by too much amusement. Much has been written about the delinquency of children, but nothing has been done. Some try to solve it by algebra, others by using cards, like a fortune teller. All right, this guy thinks he's entertaining, I guess. Children today are brought up to enjoy only amusements that cost money, such as movies, roller skating, etc. But no one suggests that they try games of their own making or to think up simple pleasures. Failure to give them all they demand causes them to obtain things by hook or crook. Even cars or money ending up in police cells. Instead of sparing the rod, why not try a little woodshed punishment for a change? The other way has failed to bring results. Yes, beat him with a stick. <clears throat> exactly. Way to cut through the fancy verbiage, Jack. All right, now let's see. Well, I think it's I'll, probably I'll been an un, uh, it's a, I, I'm certain there's been an uninterrupted line of cultural decay for the past, I don't know how many decades, 70, 80 decades. And uh, probably fitting in with uh, kids getting more and more spoiled. I think that's probably true. Okay, a couple more, and then I'll sum it up. This from 1925. Now, Are they that's spoiled? interesting. Because now oh, we're yeah. going pre-depression. Oh, yeah. 
Remove the girl or boy of today from radio, the telephone, furnace heat, the automobile, the libraries, movies, and other forms of amusement and comfort. Give them merely a jackknife and a nature's unchanging wonders for amusement, and how would they fare? I fear me ennui would claim them for its own, and they would fare ill until returned to their accustomed habit, habitat of convenience and plenty. Is too much luxury, too ready means of amusement, taking the truly American spirit of pioneering and invention out of the personalities of our children? Yes. Yes. Yes, it, it started with uh, the media, radio, TV, mm. video game, all that sort of stuff. I don't I don't doubt that a bit. Does anybody doubt that? Uh, let's see. No, no, of course not. Um, I guess I'll go back to 1895. Okay. Most of the children now are spoiled anyway, either by being overdressed or by being petted and praised until they are unbearably pert. Overdressed. <laughs> Overdressed like wearing too many clothes. They got they got socks and shoes, kids well, today. And it turns them into being unbearably pert. Yeah, chewing with more than four teeth. Who is to blame for that? And as the child is, so will the young lady be unless some entirely different influence is brought to bear upon her training. The little girl who is overdressed and overpetted and allowed to lord it over her playmates without reprimand will make the young woman who... Mm, Something dressed for its sake alone, and it was very thoughtless for other people's comfort. Too much petting. Agreed completely. Can't even enjoy their Christmas orange. So <laughs> they expect an egg at Easter and at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanks for the egg. <laughs> so I'll give my kids each an egg for Christmas. See how that goes over. So the dopey analysis of this that I've heard offered is that people have always thought this, and it's so it's silly. Don't don't think that it's not true. Now I think, given industrial development and and, and the globalized distribution of goods and the rising uh, standard of living of everyone around the globe, thanks to the free market, by the way, thanks to the free market. Every generation has more than the one before it and probably is less resourceful, self-reliant, tough. And we all know as adults or children what the amusements have done for us. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I admit it myself. Sure. Um, and, uh, and, and my other bit of analysis, I think, is this, because you could, and I've seen this, Go back to Plato uh, has a very uh, famous, it's it's one of your Greek philosophies has a very famous saying that essentially kids these days are lazy and really need their asses kicked. Um, So it goes back that far. What I think it is, is every generation looks at its young and are concerned that they won't be tough, resourceful, self-reliant, whatever, enough to handle the responsibilities you know are going to be thrust on them. And they can be very, very hard sometimes. And you worry that they're not going to be able to handle it. And so the dopey analysis is, oh, don't worry about it. I think a better analysis is, that's why human beings always do this. To send the message, life's about to get tougher than you think it is, and... There's there are weight there's weight you have to carry. Your biggest concern as a parent, I think everybody is just overall, can you get out into the world and support yourself? 
That's the whole deal. That's what you're doing, is raising a person that can go out into the world and support themselves. Yeah. Somebody responded with this uh, line of thinking. Boomers, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. Gen X, when life hands you lemons, create a startup to market lemon juice as a healthy, low-carb alternate to lemonade. (laughs) Millennials, ha, 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 as if life would ever just hand you lemons. Good one. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. (laughs) As a kid, if life handed me lemons, I'd have chucked the passers-by. I was a bad kid. Very bad at delinquent. And I think I agree with this, you know, Bill Maher, who's, you know, he's got, the he's 70 years old. He's an old man at this point. Comedian has his HBO show on Fridays. But I think what he has said is true. You know, every generation has said, you know, kids today are blah, blah, blah. Kids today are different. They are completely different. Now, again, they yeah. didn't raise themselves. It was the, the parents raising them. But there is no doubt. I mean, people that are 30 look at younger people today and think, wow, what happened since I was your age? Yes. Well, my ripe old 23-year-old daughter, who grew up not with a smartphone, um, looks at people slightly younger than her and thinks, oh, my gosh, A, they're odd. B, I feel bad for them because they can't communicate. We're about to all maybe have for a boss the, the crowd of people that have had a smartphone in their hand their entire lives. I don't know, because I know it's changed me. Imagine having never, never having had any uh, any uh, life before that. Oh my God! Well, I think what happens after that is the boss speaks Mandarin. I hear you taken over by China. Yeah, that's what I'm hinting at. Yeah, learn to speak Chinese or Russian. Could have left it unsaid, but well, that's okay. Okay. yeah, because the the cell phone people are so. They, I stand up in the movie and say, it. you know what he meant by that? He meant China's going to take us over. <laughs> That's what I, huh? That's what's going on there. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Do you own a mouse jiggler, Jack? I don't think so. <laughs> I know Maybe what you dra- ought to get one. I know what drawer it would be in if I owned one, and I'm picturing that drawer. <laughs> There's not one in there. So uh, we're talking about the overemployed in Silicon Valley, how scores of tech workers are secretly juggling multiple jobs. Now, according to the Vanity Fair, which is insufferable when it talks about politics, but this is a pretty good article, the first rule of the overemployed is yet don't talk about being overemployed. Big tech companies implementing hiring freezes, laying off workers, and battening down the hatches as they anticipate an economic recession. A swath of Silicon Valley tech workers, mostly programmers and engineers, are slyly working two, three, even four jobs at the same time and reaping mind-boggling benefits. Hmm, I know somebody who's in uh, that world, and they do all their work on their laptop from wherever they want. Usually lots of lots of time in coffee shops. You got all mm-hmm. the favorite coffee shops, and this time of day the Wi Fi is better here, but it gets crowded, so I go to that one where the Wi Fi. But, but they, so nobody would have any idea. Your employer wouldn't have any idea who you were working for. Right. Well, they spend their days juggling multiple Zoom calls simultaneously often, using devices called mouse jigglers to ensure that their computers do not go to sleep, which would alert their supervisors that something is up. Ah, it's because you get a big red flag. Hey, Jack's laptop just went to sleep. He's supposed to be programming. So somebody's got to jiggle your mouse. Yeah, yeah. And I'd pay up to, you know, 
$50 for that. You're jiggling it too fast. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Let's see. And uh, they sit at 12-foot-long desks that are lined with a half-dozen laptops and multiple computer screens as they go to virtual work and receive salaries that sometimes add up to as much as, uh, well, over a million dollars a year. Whoa! Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with this. Your employer is either happy with the performance you're delivering or they're not. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's an, it's an ethical gray area uh, because at first blush, many employment agreements say that you will not take another job. This job will be your exclusive. Uh, it will be the recipient of your time and energy during the work day. And fair enough. At the same time, though, if you live in the sort of or you work in the sort of workplace, you function in a world where you can knock off enough work to satisfy your employer and have all sorts of free time. If they're satisfied and you're producing as much as your coworkers, you could make the argument. It's a little lawyerly, but you can make the argument. I am giving them what they have paid for. This is now my free time. I also think how <clears throat> how uh, the, the the job market and how competitive it is for your skills plays a role. I'm sure it does for your employer. Your employer might right. be thinking, yeah, I don't like you doing it. I wish you didn't do it, but I'm going to turn a blind eye because you're better than my other alternatives, which is not having that job filled. The overemployed section of Reddit has quickly grown to 110,000 members who spend part of their time sharing tips and tricks for how to pull off multiple jobs and the rest of their time bragging about how much money they're making. Oh, that sounds delightful. Uh, This new world of work has its own mini subculture with new lingo. A first job is called J1, second job J2, etc. Second jobs are often referred to as burner jobs, like a burner phone that can easily be, be tossed away if something goes wrong. Wow. Huh. Let's see. On that rare occasion when you're forced to sit in two Zoom meetings at once, one overemployed worker noted that the trick is actually quite obvious. Single ear headsets in each ear mute very deliberately. Nobody says that it is easy, but it can work. Oh, my God, that sounds stressful. (laughs) A different Zoom meeting in each ear. So now this is absolutely something Jeffrey Tubin should not attempt. But so I'm I'm zooming with uh, with y'all, and then I'm working my second job, uh, which would probably be digging ditches, honestly. So I wouldn't be on many Zoom calls. But so I <laughs> I would just you know subtly reach over, uh, mute my mic, and and turn off my camera, and then I turn and say. Yeah, the quarter four numbers for the Zimsky account are actually looking quite healthy. I'm going to call old man Zimsky himself this afternoon, and uh, I'll follow up with you. Great, great. Then I go over, I mute that, I turn that camera off. People think I'm picking my nose or, or going to the bathroom or whatever. Then I get back on the conference call, and I say, I know the show is boring. I'm coming up with the best material I can. Then bounce back and forth. Wow. you got to admire somebody who's working that hard, right? If you're going to admire things... I admire that way more than the 7 million men of working age that currently don't work and don't look for a job. I much more yes. admire the, the, so you're lying to your employer, you got three jobs and you're making a lot of money. That's well, awesome. They're hustling. That's yeah. the American spirit right there. One source code engineer, whatever that is, recently wrote on the forum that he had two jobs, one of which pays 200 grand a year, which takes up to 15 hours of his time, and another which pays around 95,000 a year, which takes up zero hours. I'm not sure if they even know I'm here anymore. (laughs) 
I'm a source code engineer, some S they made up, and I'm supposed to manage the source code upload by devs, but the problem is the team I work with hasn't uploaded anything in month of <laughs> months. I've gotten a total of 13 emails in three months, 10 of which were automated. <laughs> <laughs> he was recently debating about getting a third job. Quote, all my paychecks are still coming in, but the fear of being found out is never ending. So so twice a year you take the code of conduct training. That's pretty much all you do at that job. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.